been tonight. Turn with me, please, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, please. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. And while you're finding the place, uh, can I thank the pastor here for allowing me the opportunity to join with you here today and to renew fellowship with you here today, both this morning and this evening again. And it's been good to be back amongst you. And can I also thank David and Diane for their hospitality this afternoon. I was well looked after, and I appreciate uh, all their kindness to me this afternoon. Matthew's 27. I want to take the time that's left us tonight to think with you about the two thieves who were crucified either side of the Lord Jesus Christ on the hill of Calvary. As I read the gospel accounts, I can only conclude that their appearance on the pages of scripture is very, very significant because all four of the gospel writers make reference to them. So clearly, as far as the Holy Spirit was concerned, they're very important. And so it's a topic worthy of our consideration tonight. It is, of course, the fulfillment of prophecy because Isaiah 53 did declare that the Lord Jesus would be numbered with the transgressors. And these two thieves that were crucified either side of the Lord Jesus are a great example to us of the division that exists within humanity. The division between those who have put their trust in Christ and those who have not. I wonder which side of that division you find yourself on tonight. Matthew 27, and we're breaking in there at verse number 38. And it says, Then were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. And then turn with me to Mark's Gospel 15. And we'll just see what Mark's account is in relation to these two thieves. Mark 15. And we're breaking in at verse 27. And it records there in Mark's Gospel, And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled with Seth, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by him reeled on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. 
And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And then turn with me to Luke's Gospel 23. We're just looking now at all the different records that we have of these two individuals and their interactions with the Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 23. And keep this portion open before you tonight because we'll be spending most of our time in Luke 23 tonight. Luke 23, breaking in at verse 39. Now this is a record of what had happened a little bit later in the day. Matthew and Mark's accounts sort of parallel around the same time, but when we come to Luke's account, he's telling us about something that happened a little bit later in the day. And verse 39 records, And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, reeled on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me. In paradise. And let me just read to you one verse from John. There's only one verse in John recording these two men. John 19, 18. And where they crucify him, and two other with him, on either side, and Jesus in the midst. Let's just take a wee moment and ask for God's help as we look at this, uh, these different scriptures tonight. Father, we thank thee for all that we've heard already in the meeting tonight. We thank thee for the hymns that we've sang together. We thank thee for the ministry of Sarah. And Father, as we come now to consider thy word and to preach the gospel from it, Father, we ask for that unction that comes alone from the Spirit of God. And Father, we pray for any amongst us tonight unsaved. And Father, we pray that tonight as the gospel is presented to them again, Father, that thou wouldst draw them to thyself and save their precious souls. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. The first thing I want you to notice tonight about these two thieves is they had a common problem. They had a common problem. Both of these men were lawbreakers. And that, of course, is the reason that they were being crucified in this particular day. Matthew and Mark, in their accounts, referred to them as thieves, while Luke, in his gospel, uses the word malefactor. Now that's not a word that we bandy about much uh, these days, but it simply means evildoers. And in fact, the exact same Greek word that's translated malefactor here in Luke, in 2 Timothy is translated as evildoers. So that's what the word means. They were criminals. They had broken the law and they were getting their just desserts. In fact, one of them acknowledges that very fact in Luke's account in verse 41 where he states to his colleague, we receive the due reward of our deeds. But of course these men, as we've already stated at the beginning, represent humanity. They represent you and they represent me because when it comes down to it tonight, we're all lawbreakers. Each and every one of us 
has broken the law of God. How do we measure our lives? What is the standard by which we measure our lives? The problem that most people have is they measure themselves against others. They look at so-and-so and say, well, I'm better than him. They look at so-and-so and say, I'm better than her. But that's not the standard that God judges us against. God doesn't judge us against the standard of others. God judges us against the standard of his holy law. That's the measure. How do we measure up? Well, if we just line our lives up now very quickly with the commandments of God, we'll find that we too are lawbreakers. I wonder, have we had any other gods before the true and living God? That's what the Bible calls idolatry. Idolatry can come in many forms. Your family could be your idol. Your football team could be your idol. People have lots of idols. You don't have to bow down to some stone image to be an idolater. You can have all sorts of idols in this world. Have you ever taken the name of the Lord your God in vain? We live in a society where the taking of the Lord's name in vain is done on an industrial scale. You just have to watch the television for 10 minutes. And you'll hear the Lord's name been taken in vain. You just have to walk up the street of any town and you'll hear people taking the Lord's name in vain. And perhaps you too are guilty of taking the Lord's name in vain. Have you always honoured your father and mother? I think all of us blew that one when we were teenagers. Have we ever borne false witness? That is, have we ever told a lie? Of course we have. Each and every one of us has tried to wriggle our way out of some trouble or other with a lie or with a half-truth. Have we ever stolen things that are not ours? doesn't matter how big the item is. It could be as small as a ballpoint pen or as small as a postage stamp doesn't matter the size, doesn't matter the value. If you take something that doesn't belong to you, I, even your boss's time, you're a thief. As we measure ourselves up against the holy laws of God, and this is just five of the ten commandments we've quickly looked at tonight, we will conclude, as Paul did in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us are lawbreakers tonight. And law-breaking always has consequences. Always it has consequences. We know in our own country that some crimes attract fines. Others attract, attract community service. Others, perhaps that are more serious, will attract a jail term. These particular men on this occasion had committed a capital offence. And so they were receiving capital punishment. They were being put to death for their crimes. And of course, that is the ultimate penalty for sin, is it not? For Ezekiel 18.4 tells us, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now you're going to say to me, well sure, everybody dies. And everybody does die. That's physical death. But what Ezekiel here is talking about is spiritual death. And spiritual death is the separation of your spirit from God for all eternity. 
You see, in this world, while you may be spiritually dead, you're still enjoying the blessings of God. You feel the warmth of God's sun on your face. You see the rain that comes from God to, to make the crops grow. You breathe in the, the oxygen that God has placed in the atmosphere. We all know what it is, even though we're spiritually dead in this world, to enjoy the benefits and blessings of God. But there comes a time when that all ends. And the sinner is separated from God from all, for all eternity. Never to enjoy the blessings of God again. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Wages is something that we earn. Wages is something that we deserve. And that's what we deserve for our sin. That's what we deserve for our law-breaking. Revelation 20.15 records about the judgment of God. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Dear unsaved friend in this meeting tonight, if you persist, if you persist in law-breaking, if you persist in going on through your life in this way without coming to Christ for salvation, then you too will end up in this place, this lake of fire. This place where you will be separated from God for all eternity. Where you will be separated from every blessing of God for all eternity. Where you will be punished by God for your law breaking for all eternity. The word of God tells us of that place that the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. A common problem. But I want you to notice a converted person. You see, at the outset of the day, we find that both of these men were mocking the Lord Jesus Christ. The rabble were mocking. The Romans were mocking. The religious rulers were mocking. And the two thieves joined in the mockery. Matthew records that they cast the same in his teeth. Mark said that they reviled him. But when we come to Luke's account, we see that something has changed with one of these men. Verse 39 there in Luke records, And one of the malefactors which were hanged reeled on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Earlier it was both of them. But now it's just one of them. Verse 40 and 41 record, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. What a question he asks his fellow criminal. Dost not thou fear God? Dear unconverted friend in this meeting tonight, can I ask you, as you consider your law-breaking, and as you consider the God that one day you will have to stand before and give an account for how you have lived your life, can I ask you tonight, dost not thou fear God? You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching on one occasion, he said this, it's recorded in Matthew ten twenty eight. He said, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body and hell. That's God. That's God. It's God we need to fear. Do you fear him tonight? Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom 
and instruction. Are you going to be wise tonight? Are you going to be a fool? Notice also in this conversation with his fellow criminal an acknowledgement of his sin. For he said there in the 41st verse, And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. You know, you need to acknowledge you're a sinner before God. That is the starting point on the road to salvation. You need to acknowledge your sinnership before God. And that's what this man is here doing. He's saying we're we're justly here on this cross. We're getting what we deserve. You need to acknowledge your sin. That's what David did in the 51st Psalm. He said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. There was one other thing that this thief realized about the Lord Jesus. He realized that he was an innocent man. For he said in verse 41, This man hath done nothing amiss. Yes, he changed his mind about who the Lord Jesus was. A few hours earlier, he was reviling him. That's what Mark said. But now he's reverencing him. What changed his mind? Think about the things that the people around the cross saw that day. Think about the moment when those three men were taken. The Lord Jesus and the two thieves. Think of the moment when they were taken and they were nailed to their respective crosses. Think about how they reacted. How would the two thieves have reacted? Would they have squirmed? Would they have wriggled? Would they have made it difficult for the Roman soldiers to to place those nails in their hands? Would it have taken two or three soldiers to hold them down while another soldier drove in the nails? Did they curse and swear? Did they clear their throats and spit in their faces as they were nailing them to the cross? I'm sure some or all of those things happened. But not the man on the center cross. Something different about him. Like a sheep before her shears, he was dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Perhaps it was his prayer. After they had nailed him to the cross and after they had raised that cross up and dropped it into the hole in the ground. And the Saviour prays from the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Both thieves heard this. Both thieves heard this prayer. Perhaps it was that conversation that the Saviour had with John. And how he was making arrangements even there for John to take his mother and take care of her. When he said, Son, behold thy mother. Mother, behold thy son. This thief was listening. This thief was watching. This thief was taking it all in and whatever it was, something changed his mind that day. And what does he do? He calls out with a contrite plea and he says in verse 42, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. That was a nine word prayer and it made all the difference. 
Because it was through this nine-word prayer that this man got saved. This nine-word prayer tells us so much about his mindset. He addresses him as Lord. Lord, remember me, he says. This is a recognition that the, the, the man who's only a few feet away from him, hanging on a tree, this is God. That's what he's saying here. When he's addressing him as Lord, he's recognizing and he's realizing that this man, just a few feet from him, this indeed is very God of very God. And he says, Lord, remember me. He recognizes him as a king. He says, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. There's a beautiful hymn that says, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Have you ever made Lord Jesus Christ your king? Are you still the king or the queen of your own life? He says, remember me. He realizes that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who can help him. Do you know all the religious leaders were there that day? We've read around, we've read about them standing at the foot of the cross and, and mocking Christ and saying to him, if, you, if you're really who you say you are, you come down off the cross. They were all there, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all those religious leaders were there around the cross. He didn't, he didn't turn to them for help. He didn't say to them, what do I have to do to get saved? He didn't say to them, pray we prayer for me. No, he recognizes and he realizes that the only one that can help him is the one on the center cross. You know, there's no preacher tonight, there's no pastor tonight, there's no priest tonight that can help you. There's, not a, there's no preacher that can save you. The only one who can save you tonight is the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5 reminds us that, there's no, that for there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And the response from the Lord Jesus to this man's nine-word prayer further emphasizes this truth. For the Lord Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. How is it that the Lord Jesus was able to say that to him? How is it that the Lord Jesus Christ was able to guarantee him access to paradise that day? Because on that center cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was dealing with his sin. And he was dealing with your sin. And he was dealing with my sin. Yea, he dealt with the sin of the world. That's how the Lord Jesus Christ was able to guarantee him a place in heaven. And the Saviour's 13 word response to the thief's nine word prayer is full of truth. It teaches us this. It teaches us that salvation is conditioned upon repentance and faith. And we've already acknowledged in what we've looked at tonight that this man had a repentant heart. He realised he was a sinner. And we've already recognized that he realized that Christ was the only one that could help him. So therefore he was putting his faith in Christ. And that's the key to salvation. Whosoever believeth. Isn't that what the word of God teaches us? Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Teaches us that salvation is independent of sacraments. This thief didn't have any time to go and partake in the communion service. This thief didn't have time or opportunity to go and get baptized. He didn't have time to get catechized. He didn't have time to get confirmed. He didn't have time to go through any of the rites or the rituals of any religion or church. He was just a few moments from his own death. 
And all he had to do was turn in faith to Christ. It also teaches us that salvation is independent of good works. This man had no opportunity to do good works. All he'd ever done all his life was bad works. He'd no time or opportunity now to do good works. But salvation isn't dependent on good works. It's completely dependent on what the Lord Jesus Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. 100%. Totally. All on him. Nothing to do with us. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Something else. Salvation has no waiting period. For the Saviour said to him. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. There's lots of heresies in Christendom today. There's the heresy of soul sleep. No soul sleep here. This man went straight to heaven. There's the heresy of purgatory. No such a place as purgatory. It doesn't exist in the word of God. It's an invention of man. And here the Lord Jesus Christ says to him, Today thou shalt be with me <coughs> in paradise. Something else is it teaches us. It teaches us that salvation is not universal. Oh, there's a universality in the offer of the gospel. But not everyone who is not everyone who hears the gospel is saved, only those who repent and believe are saved. And that's what this picture teaches us. And it teaches us something else as well. It teaches us that the joy of salvation is eternal communion. With the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord Jesus says. Today thou shalt be with me. In paradise. He didn't just say today you'll be in paradise. That would have been good enough. But he said today. Thou shalt be with me. In paradise. Sure heaven wouldn't be heaven. Without the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole story of these thieves. You know is a great encouragement to us but it's also a solemn warning it's a great encouragement because it shows to us that it's possible to have a deathbed conversion because that's effectively what this was it was a deathbed conversion and I know there's many of God's people who are praying for loved ones and they've been praying for them, and they've been praying for them, and they just wonder, is the day ever going to come when they get saved? And, you know, this, this story teaches us that while there's life, there's hope. And we need to hold on, and we need to pray on. But it's a great warning, because in all of Scripture, in all of the 66 books of the Bible, it is the only recorded deathbed conversion. Just one. One that we might not despair, but only one that we might not presume. And if you're unsaved in this meeting tonight, can I say to you, don't be holding on for a deathbed conversion. You mightn't get a deathbed. You mightn't get a deathbed. The pain in the chest could come. And you're gone like that. The distracted other driver could come. And you're gone like that. This 
was this man's final opportunity to get right with God. This man did not have a tomorrow. And you might not have a tomorrow. Oh, you might have plans for tomorrow, but you might not have a tomorrow. The word of God tells us, boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You know, I said at the beginning, when we were reading the different gospel records, that John's reference to the two thieves was very short. And yet there is contained within it a very great truth. We read that they were crucified on either side one and Jesus in the midst. Both of these men had what you might call a quality of opportunity. Both of them had access to the Son of God for he was in the midst. One of them was a few feet to his left. One of them was a few feet to his right. But only one of them turned in repentance and in faith. What about you tonight? I'll tell you this much. The Lord Jesus is in the midst tonight. He's here by his spirit tonight in our midst. And he stretches out his arms to you just as his arms were stretched out on that cross. And he says, come on to me all ye that labour and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Have you been burdened down? Have you been laden down with your, your guilt of your sin? We'll come to him tonight. And realise that it was all laid on him tonight. He took it on the cross at Calvary. Repent of it and put your faith in him tonight. And he will save you just as surely as he saved that repentant thief. So will he save you. You know these men had equality of opportunity. But only one of them came. Which one? Are you? May the Lord write his word upon our hearts.